This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. This is Ron V, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, Season 15, Episode 7. I'm your host, Ian, and I have with me here... This is Theo. And Steph is away at the land of uh, the Rising Sun, or Setting Sun? I can never remember. But the land of anime and manga. The Rising Sun is the first to experience the new year, the first to see the sun rise on a new day. Yes. You can literally jump from the future, jump into the future if you were to leave Hawaii. Nice. But, uh, so Steph is there and not here, so we miss her, but we will soldier on Batmanfully. <laughs> she is testing my theory that jet lag is a real thing. Wait. Even though she's probably done twice as much international travel as I. Did, did we think that it wasn't a thing? I was just saying. Um, we've got actually a lot more news than I thought to report on, so let's jump into it. Uh, first things first, Theo and I both attended C2E2 along with TBU writers uh, Josh and Donovan, and I thought it was a pretty fun time. What'd you think, Theo? Forgot Scott, too. What? You forgot oh, Scott. Oh, Scott, duh. Our managing editor. Duh. If I had I had one quirk, and you and I just mentioned it before we started recording, it's the fact that that weekend there were two huge cons going on. And and you know, those who who follow the con scene knows that every weekend there's a con of some sort going on, but typically they usually don't always have big, huge ones going on at the same time. Well, this time they did with C2E2 going on as well as Megacon in Orlando. And I, I was just a little perturbed that DC didn't spread the love to the other big con, you know, at uh, C2E2 and did everything over at Megacon. Well, they also so. had Chip Zdarsky and Jorge Jimenez at uh, Spain, in a Spain con. Oh, really? Yep. So three yeah, cons it, going I, on last weekend. That makes it even worse. Now, granted, we had Dan Moore, which was... We did have Dan Moore. And we have we had Dustin Wynn. Yep, Dustin Wynn. Had tons of great, great guests. Um, oh, yeah. Now, did you give up on Sean Murphy like I did? Yeah, I wish I'd had uh, the mic when I saw him the first time because he was basically completely free. But every time I looked at his booth afterwards, it's just like this enormous line. 
Oh, that, there was there was that one day that Saturday where it was two fifteen in the afternoon, and there was a line that could basically almost wrap, and he wasn't expected back until three thirty. I was like, "That no way." Yeah, it's crazy. But I mean, he's very popular and very nice. He was really nice when I talked to him, so I get why people want to spend the time with him. Yeah. Now I was now, even though he had a line. I was a little shocked that Snyder didn't have as big of a line as I did see for Sean Murphy. The lines for Murphy were just ridiculous. The ones for Snyder are typically those that you can sometimes expect. Um, I think that's partly because they capped the lines pretty seriously, and they also didn't let them start the lines uh, before half an hour before. That that did not happen for Sean Murphy. They were lined up for hours. I think it's also interesting because Snyder hasn't done anything at DC or Marvel for a long, long time now. Like, two years. True. Um, Like, he's still obviously a big name, but he's been so focused on teaching and his uh, indie stuff. Now, I'll tell you, I, I... I was truly excited to meet both and not just me, but talk to both Dustin Wynn and uh, Dan Moore. And ironically, both had zero lines when I went there, whereas you had to you had to wait a minute, at least for Dan Moore. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I got remarks from both of them. Nice. And oh, it was done so quickly yet so elegantly and I yep, they will be framed. Sadly you missed uh, Marcio Takara because he only showed up on Sunday, but I did get to talk to him and get a couple signatures. Well, I would have enjoyed that. I mean I mean I know Poison Ivy is in Greater Gotham this week, but God I just I love the art that the, that he's been doing. I've loved his art for a long, long time, and I got my Batman and Robin Eternal number 13 issue signed because I think that's one of the best uh, Cassandra Cain issues of all time. It's just fantastic, and largely well, because of his art. I bought my copy to get signed without realizing he wasn't going to be there until Sunday. Well, he was supposed to be there. It was just a, a flight thing. Like he was, he kept. Oh, uh, he had issues. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't it, intentional that he wasn't there. Yeah, I, I brought I brought I brought my Batman and Robin Eternal cover too because that 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 cover with cast with the red bat that could just resemble blood on her face. It is blood, it's, I think. It's, well, I don't know. Didn't that that was never confirmed? No, so. I think it was because in the story she like comes back to the training facility and like her dad has murdered everyone in it, and she yeah, uses that, the blood of her former. Trim trainees as her bat. That cover is just so beautiful. Well, that's Carla Pagulan. I really wish he was there, but he's only been in the U.S. once that I'm aware of. You know, I love that cover, but uh, I I wanted his signature on that issue. I yeah, didn't get so good. I didn't get to meet, meet Tim Seeley. He had a decent line every really? time I saw him. Oh yeah, I spent a lot of time with Tim Seeley. I kept going back to his booth because he's super fun to talk to. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to, not to get off of Batman, but I wanted to talk to him about some of the hash slash stuff that I read. 
Yeah, I actually, after the con, I checked out his Local Man comic. That was pretty fun. Um, wait, what is it called? Local Man. It's a image comic where it's basically doing that thing where you take a trope and then you look at the trope, you deconstruct the trope. So it's like the trope of the image superheroes where everyone's edgy and hardcore and over sexy and then a guy gets kicked off the team and he has to go back to his small town and everyone knows he's a superhero but he's like he's got an NDA so he's not able to do any superheroing. It's very I mean it's very Tim Seeley. Like if you've ever read Tim Seeley he loves doing that kind of thing. It wasn't that way in Grayson. <laughs> Grayson's just awesome though. Get into it. I don't know. I I I was really turned off to pretty much everything in the new fifty two, especially after Fox took over. Um, Fox took over uh, Batman and Robin. Who did? That was Ray Fox who took over, huh? No, Batman and Robin was Tomasi all the way through. I'm not thinking about it. what did he. I mean, Ray Fox, I think, did a lot in the Robin War crossover. No, wait, now, now I gotta... Pause my backup for a second. Because I gotta find this. Where is my DCU app? No, I'm thinking... Um, not Batman and Robin. I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking Robin itself, that he took over for Gleason. Yeah, yeah. That was a bummer. The second half was, it felt like a copy of the first half. And the art, of course, wasn't Patrick Gleason, so. Yeah, so, let me restart this. After Falls took over. So I was really following Batman and Robin and Robin and... When Falls took over Robin, I was just like, no. And I was just collecting Batman because it was Batman. <laughs> yeah, but I really, I really saw it on New 52. Okay, any other particular Batman things that happened at C2E2? No, it all happened at Megacon, damn you, DC. <laughs> Well, I got to interview one of the background artists of uh, Bat- Wayne Family Adventures, so that was a nice Batman moment. Yeah, you told me about that. You didn't tell me about it. You didn't let me in. Oh, what that when I came late? Uh, I mean, she was just walking the floor. She didn't have a booth. Oh, really? Yeah. I just happened to hear that she was the person, and so I was like, oh, can I ask you questions? I love Wayne Family all right. So speaking of uh, MegaCon in Florida, Josh Williamson was there, and he announced that he's writing a Batman and Robin title, illustrated by Simone DeMeo, um, who's mostly been doing covers for DC, but has done a couple interiors in Future State and a couple other places. Uh, what do you think about this? My wise grandmother used to always tell me a hard head makes a soft ass when you don't learn your lesson. And it seems that DC is continuing to not learn their lesson. This is book number what that Josh Williamson is going to be doing in the, doing the dawn of DC. I just, I just don't get it. 
Why? I think it's book number five or six. That that's just that's ridiculous. It, and it's uh, it's not like they don't have access to other writers. Now, I I spoke with someone who had who had and has done some stuff at DC as well, and they kind of mentioned this also in the sense that if you aren't doing four, five, six books at one time, you're not really getting a lot of work at DC. And that's just ridiculous. I mean, we are, we've already seen how the wear and the weight of having so many titles to write at one time. It's just how it affects the quality. And I just don't understand why they continue to do that. Because Williamson's their only name writer left other than Zdarsky, and Zdarsky's not exclusive. I don't get it. I get it. I just think it's really destructive. It's short-term thinking, not long-term. Yeah, I mean, how do you expect to? How do you expect to get names if you don't develop names? You know what I mean. I agree. I mean, I mean, I mean, I think that they are trying to develop Tom Taylor. I don't think it's working super well, but I think that after Zdarsky, he is going to get the Batman book. I mean, case in point, no one, no one knew Scott Snyder. You know, as he got on Detective and and did Black Mirror, but once Black Mirror occurred, it was just like, oh. But they, you know, how do you know if you don't give these these other creators the opportunity to really show you what they have? Hell, Mariko Tamaki isn't doing anything. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I mean, it's possible she has too many, uh, like, book projects, because she doesn't just work for comics. She writes, like, prose novels, too. So she could have other deadlines that she's just not able to work with DC right now. But it do- it is really sad, because she was doing such a good go- job on Detective, and I was quite interested in what she would do with Green Lantern, even though I also am very excited about, uh, you know, Jeremy Adams. Like, that's... I-, I feel like I couldn't lose with those two writers. I'm just kind of sad that I couldn't get both. And didn't you say she did a good job on uh, Wonder Woman also? I really liked it. I really liked that run. I thought it was very clever. And except for one artist who got, uh, like, made Wonder Woman look like a giraffe, she was mostly working with Steve Pugh, and he was really good. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. So all I know is with all of these projects that Williamson has under him now, something's going to suffer. Yeah, and, and I really hope know, that is not Batman and Robin. And and you all should know me enough now. You know, I clamored and begged and begged for a Batgirls book. And when we got it, gave it a chance, hated it, never picked it up again. I don't want to do this for Batman and Robin because, again, I've been... I've been begging for it, especially after Peter Tomasi got on Detective and Damien appeared in those first few issues. I just knew it was coming, and it didn't, and I'm happy that we're getting it. 
but I really hope this is Robin Joshua Williams that we get on this book and not Deathstroke Inc. Uh, or Batman <laughs> or, or, or Shadow War. I do not want that. Yeah. You know. Well, <coughs> we'll see. Uh, Chip Zdarsky did a YouTube interview with Near Mint Condition in which he said that he is planning to be on Batman until sometime in 2025. Um, I think that's good. I like hearing uh, that the writers have long-term plans and that DC is at least apparently willing to go with them. The problem is we've seen this before. James Tynan said he had plans to go to issue 1000 on Detective Comics and they pulled him off 19 issues before that. Tom King wanted to go to 100. He got to 85. Uh, it just feels like it can all be going well, be and then they'll again. yank the rug. Yep. I, I, I am cautiously optimistic, but knowing the history of DC, I am not going to jump too high because the fall will be painful. Um... DC also announced that uh, Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly are doing a follow-up miniseries to Batman Beyond Neo Year. They're doing Batman Beyond Neo Gothic. Um, I ended up kind of liking that Neo Year miniseries, and thankfully, really F loved it. Yeah, uh, I mean it was it was worth reading. Um, I think it is nice that instead of being one of 50 gajillion future Batman projects at the same time, including, but not limited to, <laughs> um, uh, Batman Beyond the White Knight, uh, Future State Gotham, Batman Beyond New Year, the Urban Legends Flash Forward issue, uh, Future State itself. It's just, it felt like there was a billion future Batman stories going on at the same time as this and it was exhausting but this i think we may end up having the sean murphy uh generation joker miniseries happening at the same time but that's only two titles and they're very different in tone so um hopefully it'll do pretty well we shall see i don't i i, I didn't read the first one so i'm probably not gonna pick up this one but like I said, I think Steph is because she really liked Neo Year. I mean, I'm definitely giving it the first issue try, as I usually do. But I'm I'm going into it kind of excited, especially since Lansing and Kelly did that uh, amazing Clayface uh, one shot, the One Bad Day Clayface. So there, there are definitely writers that I'm enjoying. Lastly, we have. Uh, well, let me do the announcement first, and then I'll do my reaction. Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Redder anthology miniseries of short stories in three colors. This is super bleh. I didn't like the Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Red last time, even though I liked a lot of the writers, because DC's anthology stuff tends to be really weak. Um... <sighs> I just don't think this is very worthwhile. Yeah, other than now, is is this digital first like the old one, or is it's 
straight to print. Oh, I actually don't. I don't know for sure. Um, DC Studio yeah. first program program has kind of gone kind of weird. Oh, I was gonna say, have you gone by the wayside already? It feels like it has because they really haven't been doing any of it, and the closest you get is the Round Robin, which they just dropped the first issue of Round Robin Superboy today, a week before the print issue hit shops. So I don't know. See, this this goes to show why I am. I am so behind. I didn't even know they were still doing Round Robin. Well, this is from last year. And uh, uh, one of my friends I met at CTUE2 mentioned that they have not announced Round Robin Round 3, which probably means they're not doing it again, which is probably good because even though I personally really loved the Robins miniseries and I'm really excited about the Superboy miniseries, it was a miserable process to go through for everybody. I actually talked to Tim Seeley, who wrote Robins and won the first title. He said fans were just attacking him all over the place on Twitter and online. And I just think that's really sad because like and I understand because like other people wanted other things to win. Like I wanted Robins to win, but I also would have been very happy to see Green Lanterns win um, or the, the Night Runner series. Like there was a bunch. Oh, and that Superman pitch that uh, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly did. That looked amazing. So I understand people being disappointed that they that their pitches lost and they wouldn't get to see them, but the attacking of the, the writer just that's no fun. And the attacking of the fans who wanted different titles to win, especially the fans who wanted the titles that won to win, it's it's miserable. It's not fun. So Well, I think they they handled the second year better, much better than the first. They did. It was still miserable though. Oh, the stories were terrible, but the fact that no, 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 I, I think some of the stories were really good. The fact, but the fact that everybody was able to see everything in some fashion, even though there was the winner, um, made that somewhat better. Yeah, well, I think it's good that they're trying to pivot their marketing plans. So, all right, let's move on to. Uh, our reviews, and we just have the one review of Batman number 134 today. So our main story, The Batman of Gotham, Part 4, written by Chip Zdarsky, and art by Mike Hawthorne. Our story begins in the cavernous abyss beneath Gotham City as Selina Kyle leads Batman near where Red Mask runs his operation. After telling Batman that Red Mask is five miles down into the subterranean city, Batman assures Selina assumes Selina isn't coming with him. When she asks how he knows this, he reminds her that he knows her from another world and knows she can do good for Gotham. He tells her to help people, then descends into the madness below. The Arkham Asylum beneath Gotham is huge. Batman passes Lex Luthor in a cell, as well as the Flash, who is undergoing some sort of break from reality. Batman concludes that Red Mask must be experimenting with the multiverse. Before he can finish his thoughts, Red Mask greets the caped crusader, unmasking and revealing himself to be Darwin Halliday, this world's Joker. When Batman asks if this is about the multiverse, Darwin admits that it is. He tells a story of how he spent his youth building up a pharmaceutical company always tinkering and growing and expanding. When a chemical accident infested him, he saw himself as he should be out in the multiverse. There are threads through the multiverse that connect us all to different versions of ourselves, and I saw who I was meant to be. Elemental, 
uninhibited, Darwin says. Darwin locks Batman behind a force field. He tells him that he's been bringing as many people from the multiverse as possible to his Arkham Caves, so he can get all the multiversal energy he can. As Darwin runs off, Batman uses an explosive device to free himself, then prioritizes shutting off the crane brain, which has been replaced with multiversal poison. Batman calls Jewel and Selina, telling Jewel to get as many people to Athena Tower as possible, uh, which will be safe from the gas. He also tells Selina he believes in her and that she's the best. Just then, Ghost Maker arrives, and like all the other associates of Halliday in this world, Ghost Breaker is also juiced up on Venom. Knowing he can't take Ghostmaker in a fight, Batman leaps past his frenemy only to get stabbed in the back by a katana. He removes the sword and prepares to duel Ghostbreaker, using his knowledge of past fights to guide him. The two plummet further below, where Ghostbreaker releases some convicts to fight Batman. One of them is a brainwashed Superman. However, as Superman prepares his heat vision, Batman uses a thunderous voice to scare the Kryptonian away. Outside, Jewel and Selina lead people to Athena Tower. Inside the tower, Alfred calls Leslie Tompkins, who is at her clinic, trying to save people infected with multiversal poison. Beneath Gotham, Batman makes it to the poison supply, only to find Ghostmaker waiting. The two spar, Batman uses his advantage of knowing Ghostmaker's ego to trip the venom-powered rogue up. Batman succeeds in stopping the release of the gas, but above Gotham, Red Mask has a backup plan. He orders the release of Leatherwings, an already of gas-toting man-bat creatures who descend upon Gotham to finish the job. All right, so a lot to discuss this issue. First up, what do you make of the way Batman causes Superman to run away? That was the funniest thing. I was like, what the hell? I mean, at first I was like, okay, is that clock or is that not clock? Because he was the only one floating while everybody else was kind of walking in. And then when I realized, I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden now you see Bruce, who already has a Batman voice all of a sudden come up with a third voice. And now this third voice uh, scares the living brouhaha out of the Man of Steel. So I laughed my butt off. I couldn't figure it out. Uh, it, it didn't really make sense to me. And some people got really mad about it, but I kind of was just like, uh... Especially since there's no history about it. There's no... There's no explanation as to how and why such a voice is able to get the shit out of clock. I don't know. Yeah. But it was still funny the way he ran off like a, like a scared dog. It was kind of funny. I just... I don't get it. Maybe, I mean, uh, Zdarsky has done this before with the backups, with the whole Toy Man thing, where he does something kind of weird and surprising, and then the next issue explains it. But the next issue is the end of the arc, so we'll have to figure out what happens with that. Um, we shall see. What do you think about the villain being alternate universe Joker? Well, I thought that was understood... Anyway, well, from, yeah, but like, what do you think well, about his plan and his his desire no, to become I mean, the Joker? And his stuff? desire to become Joker. Uh, it's an interesting but weird concept. But again, you're talking about the person who would be Joker, so uh, 
and perhaps it's to be expected, but it's an interesting idea that, you know, someone with the ability and the mind and the brilliance of the Joker actually wants to become him. I was, uh, hmm. I don't want to say disappointed, but I'm definitely not excited about this. I understand what's going on, but it it doesn't feel to me like it's actually saying anything interesting either about our world or about Batman. It's just kind of a fun puzzle with a bunch of references, and it's kind of... There's been so much uh, use of the multiverse in storytelling in movies and comics and TV lately that I'm kind of super multiverse storied out, and I've kind of ranted about this on the on the Discord. And we have some people who listen and who are on the Discord who really disagree with me and really like the multiverse stuff, but I feel like it's kind of... It's like Joker stories, honestly. <laughs> you remember back when Joker War came out, we were like, Joker is in everything, and we kind of just don't want to read more Joker stories. And then, of course, my favorite story was the Joker title by James Tynan, so I'm... Obviously not the most consistent of people here, but this particular multiverse story, it really does kind of feel like Cy Spurrier's World Without a Justice League Batman story he did for uh, Dark Crisis, and I hated that story because, again, it didn't feel like it was saying anything interesting about Batman or the Joker. I don't, I don't remember if Joker was in that one, but this is... I, I like the the voice that Zdarsky has for Bruce and the other characters. I like the world that he's created, but it feels like a filler arc. Well, I will, I will only say that within this arc, as we get into the backup, you know, my, my, my main line is going to be that I actually enjoyed the backup more than I enjoyed the main story this time around. Well, I definitely want to pick up on that when we get to the backup. Um, yeah. What do you think about Mike Hawthorne's art in this issue? Well, I didn't... Again, it, it's, it's... It's it's not the main man. It's not Jorge. But, you know, of the three of us who have, you know, all commented on um, Mike Hawthorne's art, I have been the one who really hasn't have not had as big of an issue with it as you and Steph. So it's it's always been okay with me. I mean, I don't dislike it, but I do think it's kind of... It, it doesn't wow me. It continues to not wow me. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're used to seeing Jorge in the pages of Batman. And Dan Mora. And Yvonne Ries. And Raphael Albuquerque. And a bunch of other artists that I really like. Um, let's see. I think that's about all I wanted to say about the the main story. Any last thoughts before I move to the backup? Uh, I have a question. What are your thoughts now that? Because I remember last month when we spoke on issue one thirty three, you and Steph were both on the were both of the opinion that. Uh, Selena was gonna pull a The Dark Knight Rises on Bruce and 
turn on him. So how did you react? Did you react when you realized that she wasn't? There's still time for her to do that. I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. It would be weird to do in the last issue. Um, Yeah, if there was ever a time, this issue would have been it. But the thing is, we're going into a Batman versus Catwoman crossover once we get past Night Terrors. So that could create tension when Bruce gets back. Yeah, but it's not this Right, but Bruce isn't good at distinguishing them. Whether you are a first-time TBU Comics podcast listener, a 13-year veteran, or anything in between, we'd love to hear what you think about this episode or any of the comics we discussed. Send emails to tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. Join our Discord server linked at thebatmanuniverse.net. Send us a tweet at tbu underscore comics. Or, if you're a patron... Leave us a comment on our Patreon page. We'd also love it if you left us a review on iTunes. We'd love to read your comments on the next episode of the Batman Universe Comics Podcast. Batman may claim he works alone, but we know that he needs the Bat Family. Join the TVU Bat Family and let us know what you think. The Toy Box, uh, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Miguel Mendonca. Uh, back in the main Gotham City, Superman, dressed as Batman, keeps up appearances in Gotham. He stops Killer Moth and heads back to the rooftops to meet with Robin, Tim Drake. When asked if he can help, Robin tells Superman that this world needs him here and there are spare Robins, so Tim is free to descend into the multiverse. Back at the hideout of Mr. Terrific and Toy Man, Robin checks in on the progress. Toy Man was able to follow a multiversal signature and locate where Batman might be, and Mr. Terrific upgraded Robin's special suit. Robin leaps back into the bleed, traveling through the multiverse. His mind focuses on his mother, and Robin is transported to her in another world. He spends a moment with her, telling her about his life and his mother and father in his world. The two bond, then Robin heads back into the bleed to find Batman. So you mentioned that you liked the backup better than the main story uh expand on that Mark. what what about this did you like it was, better? Just, it was it was just it was just an enjoyable story and you know i have said many a times that i truly enjoy how sadowski had written tim um especially considering who he's up against in the title which has now been canceled that everybody's happy about but um i just it, i just enjoyed just how how emotional it was from the sentimental back and forth between tim and his other mom to the okay it's time to get into action next stop i'm going to find batman you know, which again coincides to the end of the story arc. But I just, I just enjoyed. I mean, again, we only had ten pages, but it was just, it was a nice story. If I had one quirk, which really isn't a quirk, it's just me nitpicking. How the hell does Kalel? Not, not Kalel. How the hell does John know how to mimic Bruce's voice? Is it John? 
Yeah, it's John. Oh, I totally missed that. <laughs> who, who you thought it was? I thought it was Clark. That was Clark? No! Wait a minute. Hold on. That looks like John. That doesn't look like Clark. Well, uh, it's Clark. I see the little Bobby thingy. The hair Bobby thingy. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's Clark. And I, I th- I well, you know what made me think it was John? And, and, and I well, guess... John was in the previous issues. Yeah, John's been in the previous issues with Tim and with Mr. Terrific. So I am automatically assuming that this is John still. So damn you, Sadowski, for switching on us like that. I'm not complaining. So here's a here's a question I have for you about maybe why you like it better. So Batman in this other universe is having an adventure, but it does not matter. As I said, it's a filler arc. Whether he beats Red Mask or not, it doesn't matter because he's coming back to our universe. Um, Tim, on the other hand, is actually solving a problem that matters, like how Batman gets back. Like This is the mechanics of how we solve, in our opinion, the main conflict, which is how does Batman get back to the his real world? Um... Do you think that the sense that this is actually this is actually the conflict that should be focused on is why you find it more interesting than the the main oh, story? This, the, compared to compared to what's in the main story, this issue, this here is most important. This here is more important. I won't say most important, but this here is more important because we now know. Hey, they finally figured out how to get to Bruce, and now they're going to do it. So. Knowing that makes the story more important, but I don't know. Maybe because the main story, like you said, just felt felt more untrue from the standpoint that it's another universe, and this is the here and now. I'm going to find my mentor, maybe, but. There was just the connections in the backup were just it just grabbed my attention more. And do you think that Miguel Madonka's art is more to your taste than Mike Hawthorne's? Do you think that has any play in it? No, the art was okay. The art was fine. I love the colors, especially that last page where you know Tim is center and they're, they're. the multiversal Batman surrounding him. That's just beautiful. Um, but no, I didn't have an issue with it, with the art. I didn't, I didn't get into the, the notion of comparing Indokas with, uh, Hawthorne. So no, I didn't, I didn't compare them, but, but I, I truly, excuse me. I truly enjoy them both. Okay. Um, Something that tells me you still like the main story more. No, I'm actually with you. I like this backup better because, like I said, to me, it feels like this is the conflict. How to get Batman back. I don't care if Batman beats Red Mask. I am curious to know if... um, I'm curious to know what happens. 
Um, well, the biggest question is how the hell are going to grow Bruce's hand back? Yeah. Like, is, is are we going to have a return of Alfred I mean, the One-Handed that lasted for an entire freaking year? And then they just yeah. sew it back on at the end of that? That was ridiculous. <laughs> they won't get over that. That was just dumb. It was super dumb. Like, I like DCU. I like a lot of what was going on in DCU. But the one-handed Alfred thing was dumb as heck. All right, so... And then they break up him and Julie. (laughs) No reason why other than... Scott Snyder thinks Batman has to be dead and can't have a romance. That's why. Well, Scott Snyder's not alone, but Scott Snyder, just like the others who have that same mindset, are wrong. Well, you know who doesn't have that mindset? Me. Tom King! (laughs) I'm not going to get on that one. (laughs) Well, you could just say a broken clock is right once a day. Or twice a day. Um, All right, let's give our our Batman number 134 a rating out of five severed Batman hands. I will give it a three, two, five. Again, I, I think I think the the backup really saved this issue. I would tend to agree. I give it a three. It's above average, but it wasn't super above average. Uh, Scott on the website gave it a three as well, which gives us a mood of three and an average of. You, you, you did that intentionally. I did, did not. I wrote you my did. I wrote my score before looking at Scott's. You did. That's why you said mode first. I always say mode first because it's the best. Um, come, please come back, Steph. <laughs> All right. So that gives us the complete um, review. Let's move on to Greater Gotham. A very short Greater Gotham this week. Uh, a bunch of books got pushed to the end of the month. So we just and had... Theo, and Theo and Ian were both exhausted from C2E2. And then Theo got this super bug that basically made him mindless to reading anything. And I was taking care of my nieces and nephews. So my mind was elsewhere occupied. So let's start with Poison Ivy number 11. Thumbs up. First of all, I don't care how bad a the writing may be, although the writing isn't bad. But the art is just beautiful. Again, creepy as hell. It fits everything that this story is about. So beautiful, the colors that goes in it. It's just so wonderful. <sighs> Thumbs up. Now, the, the the story itself also is pretty good. Um, our friend has kissed <laughs> Ivy again. So yeah, so much for 
love. Well, again, she kissed Ivy, but still, Ivy let it happen. But to to for you, Ian, I don't know if you read it, but for you, you know, Ivy basically, you know, admitted the whole no, I'm not a hero, you know, I'm that's not me. When the idea was drawn across, no, you're a hero. You're trying to do good by trying to save the planet. And you're like, no, I'm not a hero. So there you go, Ian. There's, I was right no, all along. There's no redemption. Um, I actually did read this issue. I, I, I semi-skimmed it, so I didn't like read every word, but I got the gist of the story. I agree completely. This is Marcia Takara. I love his art. He does a really good job. Um, a lot of interesting ideas thrown out there. I still just don't like slash don't care about what's happening um but since steph isn't on i felt i i should try to have an opinion especially since there's not that many books to read in the first place so i give it a neutral um which is not bad for me and a poison ivy book exactly that's um, only you and only you'll do a neutral or more for tom taylor <laughs> on the regular batman and joker the deadly duo number six I actually missed this issue again. I was just too sick over the weekend to pick up and open the box. Uh, but I will assume that the art was still as good as it's always been. Um, I don't know how far the story has moved. I mean, this is apparently uh, the second to last issue. It is. Since the reveal of who the big bad is. But, um... I will be caught up by the time this the finale is done. So once again, I skimmed this issue and I give it a neutral. Uh, the art is indeed really gorgeous. Uh, a lot of fun stuff happening, and I kind of like how uh, Silvestri's structured the story. It feels too much plot-wise like uh, Mask of the Phantasm. Um, it just I don't know. There's there's some weird stuff that just makes it feel like that. And so that doesn't that kind of stands in the way of me giving it a full thumbs up. But eh. just tell me, did they, did they find Jim yet? Oh yeah, they did, and Jim was really okay. cool. Cool. Um, I'll be caught up. The Joker, the man who stopped laughing, number seven. Abstain. So I did read this again because uh, there wasn't very much to read, and I actually haven't been hating this series for some reasons. Some of them legitimate. Carbine D. Gian Domenico being on art is a very legitimate reason for loving the series. Carmine di Gian Domenico. Uh, some legitimate in my heart, but not legitimate for Theo, uh, which is that Stephanie Brown showed up in issue five. Um, she's <laughs> not in this issue, but Manhunter, Kate Spencer, is in this issue, and she's another oh, one of my favorite characters. Interesting. Um, she was really well done. Uh, the plot is ridiculous. It does not make any sense. It's really incoherent, and I don't like it. So unfortunately, it's even what is it supposed to be in continuity? Yeah, okay. it's the Jason book yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, it does not make sense. Um, and that's not even the backups. Like I skimmed the backup, and I was just like, "This is dumb," and this is deliberately out of continuity. But the main story is just so incoherent. There's some really cool stuff with Kate and some cool stuff with Jason, but everything with. The multiple Jokers, I just... If you wanted a Joker title that's about Joker, this is a title for you. Because it's about Joker, and it seems to me he's, he's written in character. I just don't like him. Um, 
And even though Carmine's art is amazing, like really, really good, I am so frustrated that they're wasting him on this book. So this is a neutral for me. Um, and we're going to end up with Batman Incorporated number seven. Thumbs up. I I have been enjoying this book from the start. Um, again, and this is someone who is not the biggest Ed Brisson fan, but he has been doing a wonderful job uh, with Ghostmaker and the game. Now, if there is a quip, and as always, there's a quip with me. Why did they make Ghostmaker look so much like Bruce? I mean, did he go have plastic surgery at some point in time? And he was drinking with I, Hush the other day. <laughs> I mean, and all of a sudden, he takes off his mask, and I'm like, why the hell does he look like Bruce? Well... I mean, Ghostmaker's always supposed to be a dark mirror of Bruce, but I think that's taking a little too literally. Yeah, I mean, it, it, did did you see that also? Did you, like, this I can't, looks like... That didn't really occur to me, so I, I'll have to think about that. Um, I, I think it's interesting. It feels like they're kind of rushing to the ending, because this issue sets up Ghostmaker breaking down and breaking the promise he made to Batman and killing a bunch of people. Um, I really liked it though. Uh, just a lot of really creative stuff, really good character work. Um, I'm really mad about the ending cause I love the character that they used for it. Um, but it's, it's effective and I think it, it's, it's well constructed and the art, uh, it's a fill in by, uh, Michelle Bendini who's really good. Wait, you gotta remember what happened at the end. Um, man of bats gets shot by a Joker clown. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he he wanted to kill them both, but he only he had to settle for one. Yeah, I really love Man of Bats. He was my favorite of Batman Inc. And I'm really pissed that they killed him off. But I mean, if you're gonna kill one that makes you mad and sad, he's the one because he's the coolest. So, so since you since you brought up someone in Batman Inc., even the original Batman Inc., getting killed off, I am wondering. If I don't know, I just get this sense that they're going to set us up and somehow Ghostmaker is going to kill El Gacho. And I am going to be so pissed. Well, Ghostmaker is definitely going to kill someone. I think he's going to kill a few. I think he's going to kill a villain. He's going to kill some clowns. He, he's going to kill a villain, and I think he's going to kill a member of Batman Inc. who attempts to stop him. I could and, definitely see that. And El Gacho is the one who says, you're my friend now, so that's kind of setting up yeah, the knife. Yeah. yeah, I could see it being either El Gacho, again, original member, the one who feels he has the closest ties, or Grey Wolf being the newest member who we could probably do without if the story was... If they kill Knight, I'm going to be so pissed. Yeah, you'll probably be at... I won't be as pissed as if they were to kill El Gacho, but I would not be a happy camper. I feel like El Gacho is the one they're setting up, though. I do. And again, it, 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 it hurts me because... 
I've been a fan of El Gacho from from the start, and I would hate for him to go up the river sticks. Yeah, especially because he's the kind of character that um, I feel like DC would be like, he's too close to other characters, we don't really want to bring him back, so he'll stay dead for a really long time if he does ever come back. Same with Man of Bats. I'm just like, ugh. You're just not gonna... Yeah. He's not gonna come back, and I'm sad. Yeah, that's why I said, you know, the most obvious for me, if I was to pick, would be Grey Wolf. I mean, Grey Wolf, sure, it it's easy enough to introduce a character and then kill him off, because that means editorial doesn't get mad at you, but they let him kill off Man of Bats, so I feel like El Gacha and Knight are both on the table. I do I do like that they allowed Bao to have an after story if, if there was one. You know, with him hanging out with uh Anna and the kids in Bloodhaven without them knowing who he was. Brisson's been doing a really good job of developing a lot of characters. It's it's a complicated thing that he's doing with so many characters, and he's creating so many villains too. Um, I think it's really cool. I like it. I wasn't expecting it from, from him. No, especially I, when I think it's good. Especially when he announced on the story. On on the no, on the. I, uh, I mean, book. I really liked what he did with the um, what's his name, Peacemaker one one shot, but. I didn't think he could sustain it for an ongoing, and he has. So, good on you, Brisson. Um, let yeah, so yeah, thumbs up for me. Yeah, thumbs up for me, too. I'm going to read our Batfan appreciation wall. So, this is all the members who contribute at a certain level on Patreon. So, thank you to Lisa Slack, Donovan Morgan Grant, Austin Davis, Ian Miller, Stanton's Grave, Johnny McCloskey, Gerald Green, Donald Townsend, Cesar Diaz, Joshua Lavin Bertoni, Ed Grouse, Jessica Morales, Rob O, Captain America, David Richards, Tim Garassi, Mary Garrett, Robert Lewis, and Stephanie Mouse. Thank you all for helping us keep the servers open and everything going with the Batman Universe Comic Podcast and all our other comic podcasts going to you. Well, until next time, we say we miss you, Steph. This has been Ian. And this is Theo. And thank you for listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>